Business leaders today need to go beyond meetings and management. There are action steps that nearly every leader needs to know to align with their core values and get the important priorities done. Welcome to the Grow Forward Today podcast with Paul D. Casey. Whether you're just starting out as a leader in your organization or have been a seasoned professional who wants to explore new ideas and practices, this will be an enlightening and highly applicable program. And now, your host, Paul Casey. Have you ever been part of a virtual meeting or presentation that was difficult to stay awake for? It just had no pizzazz to keep your attention? That's an assumed yes. Today on episode 38 of the Grow Forward Today podcast, you'll meet my guest, Kalen Huntress. Kalen is in New Zealand, living the digital nomad life with his family, practicing what he preaches on standing out in our virtual world. Let's find out what a personal platform is and how it's linked to our personal leadership development. Ready to grow forward? Welcome, friends. In 2020, Toastmasters International did their first ever virtual awards competition. Toastmasters, by the way, is a superb organization with a chapter probably in your area who help you get stronger with your public speaking abilities. I didn't know about the competition going virtual until being sent the link by someone giving a presentation on online presentations. The winner that year wowed the audience with his adaptive, effective use of the virtual platform. He filled the whole square, approaching and backing off from the camera or going from corner to corner while telling his story, varying his tone and volume and utilizing humor well. He had me hooked. He stood out for sure. And to make some noise in this cluttered digital world to impact others with your message, you and I must get better at developing our unique personal platforms and be able to display it effectively online. My guest today is Kalen Huntress. Here's a little bit about him. Kalen is an American digital nomad living in New Zealand and has spent 10 years running an online business while traveling the world with his young family. Kalen is a dynamic speaker, trainer, and business coach who started his career as an acrobat in the circus. We got to explore that. His skills as a theatrical performer and marketing strategist combine to make compelling virtual experiences. As the creative director of Stellar Platforms, a digital marketing agency that helps experts and entrepreneurs set up smart marketing systems, he has helped thousands of people increase their income, impact, and influence. Kalen was recommended to me by our guest last week, Aaron Grow, and I'm so glad to make his acquaintance today alongside the rest of our GFT listeners. Welcome, Kalen. Thanks, Paul. It's great to be here. Okay, so we got to know more about the acrobatic past. It sounds fascinating. Well, I ran away and joined the circus when I was young. <laughs> you literally did. <laughs> yeah, I sure did. Uh, and I spent about a year hitchhiking North America with a guitar strapped to my back. Wow. And that really taught me about how to earn and maintain attention. Because if you're not interesting, people will ignore you because they have other stuff to do. And so I apply a lot of those lessons to my work as a marketer, Paul, because it's all the same kind of work, earning and maintaining attention. Wow, that is so cool. So I just got to know. So you went all the way across North America or what did what was your route? Yeah, I spent about a year. I went up one coast across the country, down the other coast, and then went and played around in the middle. I was looking for the coolest city to live in. 
uh, and I wanted to find a new place to live. And so I did this tour um, where I supported myself as a street performer. And uh, after all of that, I ended up selecting Portland, Oregon. And I lived there for a number of years on and off. I've left Portland four times, each time for a farther location than the last. And But I kept coming back because it's such a great city. But this last time I, I left from Portland and I now live in New Zealand, way on the other side of the world. And so I think this is as far as I could probably get unless I made the uh, unless I went all the way to Antarctica, which <laughs> isn't out of the question. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are my farthest away guest on this podcast thus far. So congratulations. <laughs> well, why is play such a powerful learning tool for leaders to utilize in business? Play is an invitation to joy, and it gives us a way to enjoy our work. And there was a, a doctor who did some research a little while ago that found that we can retain information for longer if we do it with a game. You know, people think of a game as a way to escape work. But what Dr. Jason Fox says is that people don't play games to escape from work. They play games to engage in well-designed work. Nice. With a game, we get a clear framework. We know when there's victory and we know when we failed. But in our work, Paul, we often don't have those clear lines. There's a lot of gray area that we have to navigate. And so if we if we reduce our work down into the construct of a game, it forces us to think about what does victory actually look like and how can we incentivize the sorts of activities that we know are actually going to get results. And so I think play is one of the best things that we can do for our productivity. Play improves our collaboration. It improves team culture, and it gives us a microcosm where we can test out our relationships and have a safe example to examine the relationship dynamics so that those relationships are stronger when things are actually difficult and we need to count on the other members of our team. What have you used uh, in your virtual presentations that Back up exactly what you're saying, this uh, making bringing more joy to online presentations. Well, this is a really great way to illustrate how play is effective, Paul, because, um, you know, when the pandemic happened, a lot of professional speakers found themselves suddenly uh amateur virtual presentation artists. <laughs> and a lot of them didn't know how to do it. You, you put a speaker on stage where they can connect forcefully with an audience that's right in front of them. And that's the craft that a lot of speakers learned how to do. But then presenting through Zoom, is it takes a totally different skill set. And I'm fortunate because I happen to have that skill set because I was a I was a marketing geek and a performance artist. And so I had this overlap that put me within spitting distance of the cutting edge of virtual events when the pandemic started. And so I learned from everybody I could. I took all the certification courses I could find. And then I started teaching my own. And I teach certification courses through e-speakers to teach professional speakers how to give more compelling virtual presentations. And the biggest thing that people can do, Paul, to improve their virtual presentation skills is to ask for contribution from the audience. Because with the Zoom meeting, 
everybody that you're meeting with is one click away from highly addictive social media technology. And if you aren't interesting in the moment, then they're going to go check and see what's happening on Facebook or re or yep. click on that email notification or get distracted. And this was the same sort of thing I found as a street performer. If I wasn't engaging, then people would pass me by. But when somebody stopped and listened for a moment, if I could incorporate something about them into the song I was singing, they were riveted because they were a part of it. And in virtual presentations, we want to do the same thing. We want to invite contribution from the audience because when they feel like they're a part of it, then they can't look away. I've actually noticed that when I've given my uh, virtual presentations too, that if I'm using the chat, if I'm using polls, if I'm using fun, that is when people are right with me. If I go too long with the monologue of the of the instruction, I'll notice fewer comments coming back in the chat, which to me is a sign they're probably multitasking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I love it when you can see in the Zoom grid, all of a sudden their glasses glow bright white because they've navigated to a different tab. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to look for that now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the tell. But, you know, you bring up a great point about the chat box, Paul, because that chat box is a is an effective monitor of engagement. Yep. But I find that asking people to use the chat box for the first time in the middle of your presentation encounters a lot of friction. And so what I like to say is that meetings continue how they begin. And if you start your meeting by saying, hey, open up the chat box and tell me what time it is where you are right now. And people just type in the time. It primes them to use the chat box and it makes it much easier for them to use it later in the presentation. So start your meeting with the engagement that you want them to use throughout the rest of your time. Yes, I've heard that principle um, with also having a positive relational contact with folks at the very beginning of a meeting. Like, don't start your meeting with negative chit chat, like, oh, the weather's been awful or our gas price is terrible right now, because that actually casts a pall over the rest of the meeting. So your principle of meetings continue how they begin applies in many different ways, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think you're right that starting positive is great. You know, I've got I've got some funny slides that I like to start with to get everybody jovial at the beginning. But I, I want to highlight that sometimes identifying something negative when it's relevant to the context of your presentation can be really powerful for connection. One of my favorite openers, Paul, is to say, what's the biggest challenge that you face with this topic, whatever sure. it is I'm speaking about. And I invite them to open up the chat box and type an answer and then read that chat back. I reflect back mm -hmm. to the audience what they say they struggle with so that that way throughout my presentation, I can weave in their wording. Yes. And when I hit a relevant point, I can say, you see, Rebecca, just as you were saying, you were struggling with this. This is how we fix it. So it makes them feel like they're really part of the presentation. Oh, so good. So good. Already so many value bombs you're dropping all over the place. Way to go. Well, I, I want to take a step back because I know we're going to keep going on this engagement thing, which is fantastic. But I want to know about being a digital nomad. So my wife and I watched a little documentary about digital nomads just last week. Tell us what that means and why you've chosen that lifestyle. Well, I was not an entrepreneur by choice. Okay. Paul, I was I uh, was 
trying to live the American dream. I had pulled myself up by my bootstraps, put myself through college, started a family and got a mortgage and all the trappings that are supposed to make American life. And America broke me. Mm. As I'm sure you know, the American dream doesn't work for a lot of people. It turns into an American nightmare. And that's what happened to me and my family. So my two kids and my pregnant wife left with me for Costa Rica. I lost everything in the States. I lost my house. I lost all my assets. And I said, okay, I have to start over in a place where I'm not going to go bankrupt for medical bills again. And so we had our third child in Costa Rica. He's a citizen. We're all permanent residents and we have health care for life there. And so we protected ourselves from that uniquely American disadvantage of going broke from medical bills. And But I had to find a way to support myself in a new country. And the, the internet was still fresh at that point. I started blogging back in 2003, so I was kind of early. And I had poked around while I was doing the, the, the corporate job thing, uh, getting used to social media. I made a couple of websites and I thought, hey, I'm good at sales. And I'm good with people who are budding entrepreneurs in brainstorming how to find their clients. And so I made a web design agency. And when I moved to Costa Rica, I ran my business by giving free consultation to my American network and selling them websites. And then we we moved a lot. We've moved 11 times in 11 years. We've gone through a bunch of different countries. And I'd like to say that it was because we were independently wealthy and could gallivant, but that wasn't my experience, Paul. I had to support my family as we as we went along. And so I found these communities of digital nomads, people who had a lifestyle where they could support themselves through their laptops. And this laptop living is a very distributed community where everybody does it kind of differently. And you have to find the way that works for you. Some people who are digital nomads, Paul, they've got, you know, just themselves and they travel solo. There are fewer people who match my demographic, people who have a family that they support at the same time. So I'm kind of an outlier. Um, But I also like to uh, to find places to stay for up to a year at a time, because I find that the biggest challenge of being a digital nomad, Paul, is that when you travel, it decreases your ability to do productive work because you're trying to figure out where the light switches are and how to boil water in this house and (laughs) where you're going to go the next day. And there's all these impacts on your work. And so what I found the most effective for being a digital nomad is to find a base and to stay in a base for six to 12 months and then scope out the next location. Now, for other people, they might like to work while they travel. And, you know, I've done that. I've worked in airports and worked in the back of a bus. And I find that it just decreases my uh, my effectiveness and the the quality of my work. And so the way that I live as a digital nomad, Paul, is through serial locations. I'll live somewhere for six to 18 months and then travel to a new destination. But because I have a recording studio that fits in a backpack, I can do my work from anywhere. Oh, that is fascinating. So it really makes sense that you would niche in making virtual experiences awesome because, like you said, your studio is in your backpack. So many people are now working remotely or hybrid. And why don't you just can you give us some tips on making meetings and presentations 
lively versus boring versus disengaged. You've already given us a few. What else could you recommend to us? Well, I do. I go over a lot of this in one of my keynotes. It's called hybrid team culture. And I talk about the asymmetry of balance when you have some people in the office and some people remote. No matter where your team is or where your audience is, whether they're all in person or they're all remote or they're a combination of the two, there's two ways that you can communicate. There's synchronous and asynchronous communication. Synchronous communication is when we share time. Like you and I, Paul, we're we're sharing this moment in time. Mm -hmm. We're having synchronous communication. But the audience that's listening to this podcast are listening to it asynchronously. It's at a different point in time. We create this piece of media now and somebody consumes it in the future. Yes. And the big mistake that people get into when trying to get people engaged is pretending like they're synchronous when they're not and competing with synchronous platforms or asynchronous platforms when they shouldn't. And I'll give you an example. Let's say we're in a Zoom meeting and there's uh, 30 people here synchronously. We're all sharing time. If I'm talking at you like it's a pre-record, they might as well be watching us on YouTube or on Netflix or one of True. those other asynchronous communication platforms. The beauty of Zoom is that they have a chat box. Netflix can't do that. YouTube can't do that. And so you find ways to leverage the unique advantages of your communication medium and lean into that instead of trying to be something that you're not. That totally makes sense. So how do you, what are some other ways that you leverage that? So you said the chat, are there some other little tips and tricks that you utilize to to make it more like we're all in this together right here? Yeah, well, I I often play games in my presentations and a game doesn't have to take long. You know, a minute or two is the general length of my game. If If I notice the energy waning, then I'll just shift gears and say, hey, does anybody want to play a quick game? Let's come into gallery view. Let's do high fives to the side. And I instruct them on how to (laughs) give high fives to one side or another. And if they connect, they keep their camera on. And if they don't connect, if somebody leaves them hanging, they turn their camera off. It's a real simple game, but it gives everybody the opportunity to hit some buttons in Zoom and (laughs) use the tool and also manipulate this grid in a way that you can't do on a YouTube video. It's something that only happens in this synchronous experience. So you pull it out when you see the energy level of the room, the virtual room waning. You've just got some like you can pull out of your sleeve. Yeah, I've got a selection of games that I that I've facilitated so many times I can bring them out anytime. Uh, but I when I plan my presentations, Paul, I also insert games strategically. Yeah. And the rule of thumb I use is every 10 minutes to change what I'm doing. Sometimes it's shorter, sometimes it's longer. Mm. But if I go 10 minutes showing slides, just talking at people, they're going to get bored. And so I want to I want to spice it up by saying, hey, let's play a quick game. Let's guess the movie in emojis. And I'll share a YouTube video that I always have queued up where it's like a trivia game and they show a couple of emojis and you have to guess the movie title. And it shocks people out of their boredom because suddenly they're like, yeah, what the heck is that? Oh, yeah. And then we play that for 45 seconds and then I go to the next section and they're still engaged. 
So it does the game has doesn't have to have anything to do with your content. It's a purely just for fun, the game. It doesn't have to, but it's better when it does. And I'll give you an example. Sometimes I'll hit a topic and I'll ask for volunteers to contribute what they think about the topic, what's hard about it, what's easy about it, what they want to do differently, what they need to stop, start or change. And I'll get Mm -hmm. some feedback by calling on people. And then that feedback forms the material for the next section of the presentation. Ah. So that way it's really engaging. They feel like they've had a chance to contribute to it. Gotcha. So you're always, you're, you're almost um, on the fly calling an audible and, and customizing your content based on what the folks are saying that uh, from those, those, when you call on them. That's right. Yeah. yeah that's great. Answers make the best pieces of content. Yes. So they're like, they're using my words or they're using my idea. And so, yeah, then, then they're hooked. They can't bail on you then. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> well, let's talk about a personal platform. What is it? Why do entrepreneurs and business owners need it? And what happens when we don't set one up intentionally? A personal platform, Paul, is, you know, this word platform, it's used a lot of different ways on the internet. And the way that I use it is if you have something to say, and something to sell, then you have a platform. And the first level of platform is the soapbox. And anybody who has something to say can get up on their soapbox and get a small audience of people around them to listen. But it's not until you have something to sell that your platform becomes a commercial enterprise. The second level of a platform, Paul, that's the showroom. That's where your communications have to do with the things that people can buy from you and how you do business with them. And a showroom is great because you can support a lifestyle from a showroom. Mm -hmm. But the problem with a showroom is that it has a ceiling. You can only fit so many people into a showroom. And so the third level of a platform, that's the stage. That's where you've exhausted your own audience and you need to go find other audiences to present your message to and your systems handle the selling for you. Then there's the fourth level of a platform, which is the stadium. And at the stadium level, your moves move the market. Mm -hmm. People look to you as the influence in the industry. And stadiums are amazing because of the power that they wield, but it's a lot farther to fall from that platform. (laughs) So all these different levels of platforms, they have different advantages and different disadvantages, but they all rely on the same four cornerstones. There's what you say and what you sell. Those are the two external cornerstones. People can see that when they're looking at you. But there's these two cornerstones at the back of your platform that people don't see, but they're just as important. And those are your strategy and your systems. And if any one of these cornerstones is cracked or is lower than the others, then your platform's always gonna be leaning in that direction. It's always gonna be dominating your attention. You always got to go and patch it up and fix up things over there. And so the way that I help people elevate their personal platform, Paul, is we focus on the weakest cornerstone first. And we spend three months on that cornerstone, bringing it up to the levels of the others. 
And then it's just a matter of stacking cornerstones. I generally like to spend three months on each cornerstone. You can spend a quarter of a year working on your strategy, another quarter working on your systems. And now that you've got different systems, you can sell different things. And it changes how you profit from your platform. And then you need to change your messaging. So you change your positioning and what you say evolves. And suddenly you find yourself at a different level. And what do you do next? You pick another cornerstone and you work on that for three months. And I found this to be really helpful with experts and entrepreneurs. There's so many different things that we have to do in our business that focusing on one cornerstone at a time, it gives you focus enough to really get some results and it helps you postpone those other essential projects that do need to happen until the point in your yearly calendar when it's time to work on it. This is so good because people think, oh, I can just become an expert tomorrow. Right. And I can just throw some stuff out there. But what you're saying is it takes a lot of intentionality, three months of work just on one of the cornerstones, let alone all of the systems and strategies that you need to. So you've, you've really said how much work it is to be a successful entrepreneur. Yeah, I've, I've never really seen anybody get to the stage level in less than two or three years. Often it's five to seven. It takes time to figure out what you're going to say and what your audience wants to buy and how to interface those. It's an iterative process. And so it's not something that you can go through quickly. It's going to take time either because you have experiments to discover what actually works or because you're not using the right message or the systems aren't working or your strategy's off. If there's something that's wrong, then it takes time to identify what it what is not working. And it takes courage to change what you've been doing so far in order to allow different results to happen in the future. Can you take us through one of possibly one of your services or products through the four stages and how... Uh, I know this This is its own seminar itself, but just very briefly, maybe touch each one of those. Sure. So um, well, I'll, I'll give you some examples from some work I've done in the past. Um, when I worked with uh, Lisa Gar, the host of The Aware Show, she's a nationally syndicated radio host, and she um, interviews book authors on the topics of neuroscience, consciousness, and spirituality. And we, may, we did some interview telesummits for her, um, her interview guests, where she would interview 10 guests at a time. And the only qualification that we had for these guests was that they had a book and they had an online course to sell. This was back when online courses were great business in 2015, 2016. Mm-hmm. They don't sell like hotcakes anymore, but there was a period of time where they really did. And my role was to set up the sales funnels. So for every guest, I would put together a sales page um, documenting their their package and uh, the the access page for people who had bought it and the the lead magnet for people who wanted to subscribe to get the special gift just for that interview. And I did those in packs of 10 because I created systems that enabled us to replicate a lot of work really fast. And so instead of having just her show with her audience, she suddenly had an additional revenue stream where she was doing the same work. She was just giving interviews with book authors and the systems created a completely new revenue stream that she didn't have before. 
So that's an example of, of systems work. Um, some of the, uh, uh, the, uh, the profit work, the what you sell work. I, uh, um, I did some work with Mike Rayburn, who's a, uh, a Hall of Fame public speaker for a long time. And this was my niche was, uh, was speakers, authors, and coaches. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we built a whole membership site for his content. So that, you know, he's he's a great keynote speaker. He does this thing where he plays his guitar with both hands up on the fretboard and intersperses it with comedy jokes. There's nobody <laughs> like this guy. Uh-huh. But he said, I want to do more than just sell on what my experience on stage. I also want to have this challenge that I can bring people through where I'm teaching video courses and they can also buy my uh, my uh, my music albums and my books. And so we created this whole membership platform on a subdomain of his website that gave him an entirely new suite of products to sell. And so those are a couple of examples of the type of work I've done in the past. That is so cool. Well, let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Grow Forward Today podcast on the Voice America Business Channel. You can contact me on LinkedIn at Paul D. Casey and my guest, Kalen Huntress, on his LinkedIn. That's spelled C-A-E-L-A-N-H-U-N-T-R-E-S-S. We'll be back after the break, and we're going to talk about how to even come up with a personal platform in the first place. Stick around. If you're a manager or supervisor trying to keep your team and yourself engaged, motivated, and accomplishing goals, then you want to check out Bullseye, Paul Casey's membership community for team leaders, coming alongside you to achieve confidence and success in leading your team. Within Bullseye, there are plug-and-play forms and tools, inspirational audios to pump you up, team player videos to play in staff meetings, icebreakers for your one-to-ones, and of course, interaction with Paul and other industry team leaders to chat about how to solve the problems you are wrestling with. Paul will bring on live experts once a month to answer your questions on their expertise, and he will ping you twice a week via text to encourage you in your pursuit of your goals. Finally, there is a resource for anyone who supervises others and wants to develop their potential. Check out Bullseye to find out more and subscribe today for the best rates they'll ever be at growingforwardservices.net. That's growingforwardservices.net. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to the Grow Forward Today podcast. If you'd like to know more about Paul Casey or our program, please visit his website at growingforwardservices.net. Now, back to Grow Forward Today. Welcome back. Talking with Kaylin Huntress, who has developed many systems and strategies for many clients on personal platforms. He was just describing what one is. And I'm thinking we need to even take one step back, Kaylin, and just say, how, how does someone come up with a personal platform in the first place? How do you coach someone to try to maybe narrow in on a niche? Well, it all starts with the message, Paul. And the message is the unique contribution that you have to bring to the world. But it needs to go through a filter. And this filter is what does your audience want to hear? 
because a lot of times what we want to say isn't the same thing that others want to hear from us. <laughs> I mean, if if I could just talk about what I would wanted to talk about, I would spend my time talking about Commedia dell'arte. It's an ancient 15th century form of Italian street theater. And I studied this really <laughs> deeply early in my life. And I have all this great knowledge about Commedia dell'arte that nobody's going to pay me for. <laughs> so I had to find a way to modify my message of how do you show up and get attention into a format that an audience wanted to buy. And with experts and entrepreneurs, the types of people that I work with, how do I gain and maintain attention? That's in the overlap between the message I want to share and the message that others want to hear. And so that's how you find your platform, Paul, is you start with the message. Can you give an example of maybe one entrepreneur you work with that you literally did that process? Like they said, I'm really good at this. And then you went, that's fantastic. And I think if we were able to maybe chip off all the things that are not that masterpiece, people are actually going to buy your product or service. Well, I don't want to break any confidences because in my coaching programs, this is often Certainly. the sorts of conversations that we have. Certainly. Um, but I, I had a recent conversation with someone who um, was a really, he, he's a high-end video editor. He knows video production inside and out. And he wanted to get out of the agency life and start working with startup entrepreneurs who wanted to look better on video. Okay. And that transition is there there's two transitions that were happening it was it was not just the message instead of i can produce this video for you it's i'll teach you how to produce your own video it's also a transition of market and the market changed from the agencies who used to hire him to the independent entrepreneurs who are just starting to figure out how to do the video and he knew that there was a message change but he didn't realize there was a market change. Mm. And so by helping him realign his message so that it harmonized with his new market and not his old market, he found that he was able to get a lot of clarity. Very cool. You also mentioned how the uh, strategies and the systems are the cornerstones. How do you, how is it, how does it become apparent that one of those needs work? Like that there is a fracture in, in one of those, I'm sure you probably ask some some questions and then you get like a, huh, like I don't have that system. <laughs> Is there some uh, type of uh, questioning that you go through to help someone figure out like what is broken? Usually people know. Okay. I, I just ask them, which, which one do you struggle with the most? And most people just say that one right there. That's the one. Those two. Sometimes there are, people are like, I have problems with all four. But when you ask somebody what hurts? What's really causing you grief right now in your business? There's some class of challenges that they continually face that falls into one of those four categories. So I don't have to dig very far. Usually people can identify it for themselves <laughs> right away. <laughs> and if listeners want even more tips than these, they can get your book, right, Kalen? Do a quick plug for uh, what's inside your book. Sure. So my book, Marketing Yourself, is based on these four cornerstones. Okay. The four sections of my book each have four chapters in them. There's positioning and profit and strategy and systems. And so this okay. is how I set my book up, was to help people uh, 
elevate their personal platform by working on one of these cornerstones. And if your listeners go to marketingyourselfbook.com, there's a button on the top for a free chapter. And you can subscribe to my email newsletter list and get the first chapter of my book. And that chapter tells you how to create a personal statement. And a personal statement is one of the most powerful marketing assets that you can have, but it's only one sentence long. So it has to be a distilled version of who you are, what you do, and why you're amazing. It takes some time to figure out this personal statement, but once you do, it gives you the ability to leverage the power of weak ties so that it's not just the people that you meet that become your target market. It's the people that they meet. Mm. And I'll give you an example. The best personal statement I ever heard was from Corey Huff. And I met Corey in 2015 at Pioneer Nation, which was a conference for digital nomads. Everybody there had, you know, ran a business from a laptop. And so it was, it was great because I was like, here's the guild hall. These are yeah, people yeah. like me. <laughs> and I ran into Corey and I shook his hand. And I said, what do you do? And he said, I help artists sell their work online. Ooh. Instantly, I knew who he was, yeah. what he did, and why he was amazing. And I thought of every artist in my network that was struggling to sell their work online, and I sent them to Corey's website. Because he had a tightly defined personal statement, it served as a beacon so that the right kinds of people were attracted to him. Even if he didn't meet them directly, he just met somebody they knew. The personal statement magnetizes your message. Yeah, I would think that that I've always heard of the elevator speech. This is even this is even niched down further than that. That if you're at a networking event, whether you're an entrepreneur or you're you're working within another business, it's probably essential that everybody has one of these because it's a conversation starter. It could lead to our business, and like you said, uh, you could refer. Someone else can refer you most easily by having one of these. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up the elevator pitch, Paul, because that's that's the longer version of the personal statement. Okay. And the bio is the longer version of the elevator pitch. Okay. And we need to be, we need to have all three of these. You've got to have a bio that's lengthy and lets people know the different topics that you talk about. And you've got to have an elevator pitch which is a shorter way to keep somebody's attention and give them more depth and detail. And the personal statement is the most powerful of the three because it's the most distilled. Mm. Yes. You brought up bio. So let me take that quick rabbit trail. What goes in an effective bio? I like to think of a bio as the menu of topics that you could talk about forever. So that is so it's not necessarily about your family or your hobbies or what you've done in your career. You're saying it's like it's the it's what I do. It's it's the most important things that I talk about. Yeah, it's what you do and it's your unique angle on it. Okay. You know, part of my bio is that I'm an advocate of play. Mm-hmm. And I help help people have more fun in virtual meetings. I don't really shove that into the personal statement. Um, I, I have two personal statements because there's two main markets that I work with. For the public market, for people who know me for marketing, my personal statement is I help experts and entrepreneurs set up smart marketing systems. For my public speaking work, I help virtual audiences have more fun. 
And those are my two personal statements. And, and you know, your listeners might have different facets of their business, yep. which require yep. different personal statements, and that's okay. But having a bio, the best bio you can have incorporates all those different facets in it because you have the room to talk about not just the different things that you do, but how they relate to each other. And so in my bio, I talk about the art of earning and maintaining attention, which covers both my virtual event work and my marketing work. It's yes, all about yeah. attention. Yes. And in your bio, you also mentioned the digital nomad part, which of course is very interesting. It makes people want to ask a question. You mentioned your circus uh, acrobat days, which is also a teaser, right? To say like, oh, that, that's very interesting. Um, and then you talk about, you know, sort of that benefit of increasing income, impact and influence. And uh, that's sort of the big why, right? That we all want. We all want those three things. So that's probably strategic as well, right? Yeah, including those, Paul, it's, you know, the 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 outcome is something that people always want to know. What's the outcome yes. of working with you? And that's what the income impact and influence is there for, because that's what people want out of an experience with me. And then the um, the the topics that are interesting, they serve as like fish hooks. You know, I've got I've got a lot of bait in my bio that makes somebody say, well, this guy's interesting. What the heck? He's he's a fire juggler. What kind of marketer does backflips for fun? And so it, it leaves an open loop. And that's one of the most powerful things you can do in a bio is, is create an open loop where somebody wants to know more because you've intrigued them. So I'd encourage your listeners to look in their own past and their own history and their own experience and identify what are their best conversation starters at a party. What are the things that they can say where somebody says, hold up, hold up, hold up. Are you serious? I want to know more about that because those topics belong in your bio. Oh, that's so good. Put bait in your bio. <laughs> Hashtag. <laughs> that's a great one. Great. Well, well, Kaylin, you also facilitate mastermind groups online. I'm in an online mastermind group myself. Who benefits from joining a mastermind group and what benefits do you see your clients realize from being in the mastermind experience? The best benefits for mastermind groups, Paul, are found by anyone who has goals. I find the mastermind to be a remarkably effective method of reviewing and maintaining your goals. The concept of the mastermind was first really articulated by Napoleon Hill in his yep. book, Think and Grow Rich. And he was fortunate enough to have access to Andrew Carnegie and uh, all these magnates of the time to find out what is it that makes you different from Joe Schmo on the street. And all of them had a group of peers that they met with regularly to share their goals and be held accountable to their goals. There's this great book called uh, The Four Disciplines of Execution. Yes, I love that book. You've read this book? Yes. Oh, it's a fantastic book. And it talks about how the regular reviewing of your goals, it's one of these four disciplines that helps you actually attain your goal. Because if you set a New Year's resolution and you write it down and you close your journal and you never look at it again, it's not going to get you any results. But if you review that goal every week with peers that are lovingly holding you accountable to attaining your goal, then they can call it when you're not 
being in alignment with who you said you were going to be. And so that's what a mastermind group does, Paul, is it creates a container for your highest vision of yourself so that you can return to that vision regularly with others who've shared that vision with you and want to see you make it happen. Mm, That is so good. Did you start out by being in one and then sort of crafted how you wanted to run one? Or how did you go about developing your mastermind group? I started with masterminds back when I had a, a sales job with a Fortune 100 company. And uh, and I, I wanted to, I, I did some BNI work with Business yep. Networking yep. International. Yes. These are those networking groups where, you know, everybody trades business cards and referrals. And it, it wasn't, those groups weren't really doing it for me. I wanted something a little more intimate yeah. with people yeah. that were curated, not just whoever applied and showed up, but like the people who I felt could really get me moving forward. And so I found a group of other professionals who were had the same view of goal setting as I did. And they were they were into the personal development books that I was. And so we read books and shared books and shared recommendations and created goals together. And I was in masterminds for a good 10 years before I started running my own. And it was really because I found myself defaulting to the facilitator because I have a lot of theatrical skills and setting the space and keeping people on time and making a graceful transition from one segment to the next. Those are just natural skill sets that I have. And so I found myself in the leadership position so often that I started inviting other groups to have me lead their masterminds. And I do it using um, a three-step formula. Everyone shares their wins. Mm -hmm. Everyone shares their challenges. Yep. And everyone shares their commitments. Yes. Simple three-step formula. You start with celebrations. This is what went great. I want some applause from my peers because they know how hard I've been working with this. Yep. I'm going to share what's going on that's difficult because I can't share these things with my clients or with my competitors or with my audience. But here's a safe space where I can vent about what's challenging. And these are people who can actually help me solve this challenge. And then the accountability at the end, what were my commitments from last week? And what am I committing to do next week? Sometimes just knowing that you have to review this with your mastermind, it gives you that extra gumption throughout the week so that you can actually accomplish the goals that you set out to do. Yes, no client wants to return to their coaching session or their mastermind with their tail between their legs going, yeah, I didn't do any of that. (laughs) (laughs) That would not be the ideal person to have in a mastermind with you. (laughs) And they find that out, right? When they're showing up week after week saying, yeah, I'm not even keeping my goals, they drop out themselves. the, The format creates a function so that those who are committed stay in and those who who aren't naturally weed themselves out. Do you find masterminds best when the folks have they're in the same industry or space like a marketing space or when it's a diverse industries and it's just people that are around that common goal of like personal growth? I've done both, Paul. And and I have to say there's definite advantages to having multiple industries because you get multiple perspectives that you might not consider. When I'm in a a mastermind group with other marketers, we fall into jargon speak. We we get these blinders on of what we know that the rest of the world doesn't. And it's great for talking shop. You know, I like talking with my peers in marketing and I love talking with other speakers. But with speakers, I've got the unique advantage that I have this whole other craft Mm 
as a marketer. So it gives me a different perspective of the speaking industry. And so I find that that variety of perspectives definitely has a lot of advantages. When you mentioned about uh, they were reading the same books as you, let me take a quick rabbit trail there. What are your favorite uh, personal development books? Because that's really the focus of this podcast, the Grow Forward Today podcast, is personal leadership development. If you had to narrow down and say, anybody that wants to develop themselves personally, you got to read these two or three books. I I always get asked this question and my mind sometimes goes blank because I read so much, but you probably (laughs) have a few on the tip of your tongue that you would say, you got to read these two or three. Yeah, I'm looking at my bookshelf, like, how do I pick? (laughs) That's what I do, too. (laughs) Yeah. So I'll refer back to the topics that we've discussed today. For being a digital nomad, the best book that I've read is Company of One by Paul Jarvis. And it's the first really intellectual examination of the digital nomad lifestyle where and it's it's predicated on the idea that we don't need to build a business to scale it. Making a big business with lots of employees is not the best move for everyone, even though that's the conventional advice. Now there's a lot of advice coming out about how having a small company, this company of one, has a lot of unique advantages that shouldn't be overlooked. So I love Paul Jarvis's work there. Um, For growing a business, uh, I'd say one of my all-time best business books I've ever read is called The Thought Leader's Practice. Hmm. And it's written by Matt Church, Peter Cook, and Scott Stein. And they run a program called Thought Leaders Business School. And I'm a member of this program. I've been in it for two years. It's fantastic. And the way they got me in was a perfect example of generosity marketing. Uh, Peter Cook reached out to me on LinkedIn and he said, hey, you seem kind of interesting. Can I send you a copy of my book? And so I said, sure, Rando on the internet, send me a copy. I'd be happy to read it. (laughs) And he sent it to me and it was fantastic. And then he sent me a follow-up message and said, hey, I'm going to be in Wellington. Do you want to get together and have coffee? I said, sure, I love your book. And so I showed up on the appointed time and date with 80 other people. There was coffee there, but he was giving a presentation about Thought Leaders Business School. And I was blown away at the value he provided before he asked me for a dollar. And so I joined the program and it's been great. It's totally transformed my business Wow! in helping me identify how do I change from being just a business owner who does this thing, just a consultant who has something to sell to really being positioned as a thought leader in my topics. And so that's a fantastic book. It's called The Thought Leader's Practice. Okay, absolutely. Got to pick up a copy of both of those. Thank you. What other challenges are you seeing your clients wrestling with these last couple of years uh, during COVID and post-COVID or whatever we're calling where we're at right now? Uh, And give us all some coaching. Uh, How do you help people get unstuck during this? uh, this, Because I I noticed in my clients, people hit bumps along the way. Some got it right away when COVID started, some a year in, some two years in, and some like right now their emotions are catching up to them. Have you seen that as well? And how would you help somebody get unstuck? The biggest problem right now, Paul, is the volatility. Things are changing so fast, we have to adapt. But the reason this problem is so challenging is because internet advice goes stale. Mm. The things that worked in 2015 don't work today. But when you go onto Google searching for how do I solve this problem, because of the mechanics of SEO, the articles that are at the top of the list are the oldest and the most stale. 
Mm. And so the biggest challenge that people face is getting accurate information that guides their strategy. And to get good strategy, just researching what people said a few years ago online isn't going to cut it. You got to talk to people in the trenches, okay. people who are actually dealing with these issues, because they're going to share messy data. They're going to say, I'm finding these things and I don't know what it means, but this thing over here isn't working anymore. And so I've had some success at this, but I don't know if I can sustain it. That vagueness is actually a much more clearer indication of truth than the certainty of something that somebody has known for more than five years. I look for the vague people who are trying to figure things out on the cutting edge because you're not going to get clear answers, but you're going to get into a much better direction if you follow those people you'll get those real answers the authentic answers yes yes That's right good tip well last two questions for you kayla what do you want to promote for our listeners personal leadership development and how could a listener best contact you if they wanted some follow-up well the thing that i'll promote is my one-on-one -on -one coaching program okay I work with uh, with clients in three-month engagements where we either focus on a cornerstone of their platform or I do performance coaching, both as a, how do I improve my performance as a speaker online or a, or a leader of a team, or how do I get more done? One of my uh, training programs is called Playful Productivity. And it's the idea that we can get more done if we do good work and good cheer. And so I have a lot of productivity material where, um, you know, because corporate doesn't like to uh, to sell play, because it seems like a waste of time. And so I package it in practical productivity. And so I help people attain their goals through my one-on-one -on -one coaching program. And the best way for people to get in touch with me, Paul, is to get the first chapter of my book at marketingyourselfbook.com slash free chapter. You can subscribe to my Stellar Platforms newsletter and you'll get the first chapter of my book on how to make a personal statement. Thank you so much. I hope all listeners, you're going to go. I hope you got a ton of energy from Kaylin today. I know I did. I'm like, okay, I'm ready to conquer the world right now. This is uh, <laughs> this is fantastic. What you have shared today made me think as well as want to explore more. Definitely to pick up his book and uh, the other couple books that he recommended. Kaylin, thank you for your gracious time today and uh, just the generosity of sharing these ideas with us. Thanks, Paul. It was great talking with you. I enjoyed this conversation. So I have some takeaways from Kaylin today. Play is an invitation to joy and to enjoy work more. Well, we just need more of that nowadays, don't we? That was a great one. Meetings continue how they begin. So start with engagement. Start with funny slides. Ask a challenging question to get people into the chat right away in your virtual meetings. We talked about the personal statement, how that's the most distilled version of your elevator statement, which is the most distilled version of your bio. We need all three of those, but boy, if you just have that one-liner to, to shoot out of your mouth, people are going to know how to refer you, and you're going to live into that statement. And then consider being in a mastermind group, because it is a great place to share your wins, your challenges, and your commitments. And I find that most people do not improve without some type of accountability system and support. The GFT podcast is all about putting practical tips from my guests into action for your personal leadership development. Thank you so much for listening to episode 38. 
Please spread the word about this podcast to those in your circle of influence who are hungry to grow forward in their lives. Remember, you must lead yourself well before you can lead your team well. And until next week, keep growing forward. Thank you for tuning in for this episode of Grow Forward Today. Remember to visit Paul's website for more tools that you can use at growingforwardservices.net. Join us again for another edition very soon on the Voice America Business Channel. 